in the morning when you need the news that matters most. They can kiss my f***ing ass right downtown and print it. You need the front page. All these mother editorials. On the press box. They're really, really behind you around here. My f***ing ass. With Graney and Bischoff. Rip them mother f***ers. Rip them suckers like the f***ing players. Story from CBS Sports. The AAC is targeting four Mountain West schools for expansion. Boise State, Colorado State, San Diego State, and Air Force. Not UNLV. How shocked are you that especially Air Force is on that list and UNLV is not? Well, when you look at Boise State, San Diego State obviously are understandable, but when you look at it's Colorado State and Air Force, they're obviously trying to snag the uh, Rocky Mountain network and and fan base and everything up and down there. So they're trying to just try to grab that and, and extend down to Idaho, right? So or over to Idaho, so that whole area. I'm shocked um, that UNLV is is not in that conversation simply for the fact of that it's Las Vegas and where, you know, where this town has evolved, not just because of the Raiders and the Golden Knights and the Aces and, you know, and just in, in general, the, the, the town itself, but the fact that this is becoming and evolving more and more into a hub for so many different things, uh, you know, the, the non-conference games that are coming for college basketball, Already all the conference tournaments that are coming. We know that the national championship will be coming at some point. We have to assume the final four will be coming. They've already discussed women's regionals coming. Um, why the AAC is is not, it, according to this report, targeting UNLV when apparently on your list they're interested also in UAB, Florida Atlantic, and Texas San Antonio. It, it's, it's surprising because... The ties to the the um, the venues that are in this town to to have UNLV a part of that conference, it's it seems like it's a no brainer. And you see the money that's been, you know, brought in for the football for a football program that's been one of the worst in the nation for decades. Yet you got the complex and the stadium, you know, the money that's pouring into this town. Um, yeah, it's it's a little surprising. Well, all the reasons you just gave me are reasons why I wouldn't target UNLV. You just listed 17 things that are more important than UNLV athletics that are going to be in this city. So if I'm trying to add a school, I don't want a school that's playing 20th fiddle. But do you want a town that is going to enhance your conference? Is it? You Nobody cares about UNLV here. Tulsa comes out to play UNLV. You paying attention? I don't think anybody is here. Like, it'd be one thing if UNLV was in the Pac-12 and USC was coming to town. But... What are we getting? Memphis, Memphis to Vegas. I don't think Memphis UNLV is making any hay or any headlines in in college football. So, but okay. So here's here's my question though. Here here here's my question on the other end of it. What does what does this do? And I see you say here the Mountain West could add North Texas and Tulsa if they lose members. What what really does happen to the Mountain West if they lost those four schools? This is a brutal conference where you're just. You're nothing. I mean, you're you're you're, you're the Big West. You're right, the, exactly. That's all you are. The West Coast point. Conference. Right. Yeah. You're you're nothing. But I have a hard time seeing this actually happening. I can't imagine 
San Diego State, Boise State, Colorado State, and Air Force would look around and say, we'd be better off in what the American is right now. Because the American, now that they're losing Cincinnati and Houston and Central Florida, without those three, they're significantly worse than the Mountain West. And if Boise State, San Diego State, and Colorado State left to join the American, the conference is about as good as the current Mountain West is. But now you're playing teams on the east side of the country, which is not profitable. Boise State had a study done a few a few years ago that said it's not financially feasible for us to join the American in every sport. It would make sense for football only, but you're not going to send your volleyball team across the country. They would lose money doing that. So I can't imagine these schools actually leave the Mountain West for what the American currently is. If those schools were saying, if they still had Cincinnati and all that, then maybe you could make the argument of, okay, this will cripple the Mountain West and it'll be a not a power conference, but it'll be fairly close, as close as you can get to a power conference. But without those schools there now, to me, it'd be stupid if these teams left. Incredibly stupid. Is it surprising to you that the AAC is looking to pilfer from the Mountain no, West? No, they're trying to survive. And they're basically, they're basically looking at who are the best schools, who are the schools that make the most sense to us that we can go and add. And if they could land San Diego State and Boise State and Colorado State, I, I don't know why Air Force is on there. I cannot figure that one out. But, I just, I just think it's for what I had said. If you're going to add, but, co- you know, you're going to attack Colorado State. You don't need Air Force. Air Force, Air Force doesn't have fans in Denver. No, no, well, I, I, I don't get the Air Force one. But the other three, I, I took the other three. I totally get. I would put UNLV as the fourth instead of Air Force, but I totally get the other three, but I don't think they're actually going to get them. I think they might be able to get like a Conference USA team, right? Like if UAB or Florida Atlantic or UTSA, the other three they might be targeting, absolutely those teams would jump up, but those don't make as big of a difference for you if you're the American. Like those aren't really changing much for you conference-wise. And then that being said, so if, if you're shocked at why Air Force, but then you see the other three that you're interested in, no UNLV, but also... Why not target Reno? For in terms of what it's what it's sort of grown to in football and basketball, um, I'm just shocked that in general that that it's it's uh, you know where where this is evolved in and like you said the the two Colorado teams for me I, other than just going after that Rocky Mountain area, um, Boise State and San Diego State make sense, um, you know in, in how you put it. It, it, I can see that because of who they're losing. They're basically just bringing teams over to get it right back to where it was, and it cripples the Mountain West. Right now, if it's status quo, AAC has obviously has, has an edge in terms of competitive edge on the Mountain West. Yes. But so, once they lose Cincinnati and, and Central Florida and Houston, they will be they drop. much worse than yeah. the Mountain West. What do you think? Terrence Arsenault is committing today. He's a four-star recruit in the 2022 class. He's choosing between UNLV and Houston. He is a top 50 player in the 2022 class, a six-foot-seven wing. He is from Beaumont, Texas, which is outside of Houston. But... Never been to Beaumont? I have not been to Beaumont. It's brutally humid. Well, yes. Anything. In, yes. I've been to Houston and Houston is be- brutal. You, might, you, you probably could have just started out yeah. brutal. Um, but Brandon Chappelle, uh, UNLV is one of their new assistant coaches under Kevin Kruger. He is also from Beaumont, Texas. And Terrence Arsenault has described him as like a family friend. Like he's known Arsenault's family. Uh, so that's sort of the key here is that if UNLV is able to land him and pluck him out of Texas, it would be a big reason why is Brandon Chappelle 
is family friends with Terrence Arsenault's family. So he's committing, or at least he said on Twitter he's committing today. It's, uh, I know rivals in 24-7 were both reporting. It seems like it's down to Houston and UNLV. Texas A&M and Oklahoma were the other two teams in his final four. So UNLV might be landing a top 50 player today. And it looks like, you know, his skill set, you know, 6-7. Nice little move to the basket. Major threat at L3 levels. Um, And and he's got an all-around game. Um, You would know better than I. Um, It's very rare these days that AP is sending me out to, to a UNLV basketball game. So I find myself following either on Twitter and reading some of your stuff or just following along whoever's there, Gramala or, or Sam. Um, I would imagine that this would be a boost, not only because, you know, with with uh, Kruger's starting out and rebuilding this program, but as you said, the tie with the assistant coach and being able to come in and acclimate himself, does what he bring what is that something that the team obviously is going to need once he gets here? So the interesting part is who's the hell's going to be back next season for UNLV? Right. Because technically, like everybody except a couple guys can come back because of COVID, COVID and, and everything. Yeah. So if they're really good, they could conceivably bring back almost the entire roster and they might not need Terrence Arsenault if they're really good. It's college basketball. There's probably going to be significant turnover because there's always significant turnover in college basketball. So I think you're, you're never saying no to the guy that's six, seven and can play on the perimeter. Like you're, you're never saying no to that guy. If a guy has guard skills and he's six, five or taller, right? You're almost always taking that player and he's a top 50 guy. So how good would he be as a freshman? And what would his role be? Kind of depends on who's left on this team. Cause they've got a lot of length on this team this year. It's one of the main things they, that we know they have is a lot of length. He would fit in with that as well. So, but it's not like they're going to be a team that's a really short across the board, and they need somebody at six seven. But he could be really good as a freshman, depending on who is and who isn't here the following season. And not only who is and who isn't here, but who is and isn't in the Mountain West. Yeah, might be helpful too. <laughs> Next question: Jake Bischoff will miss training camp due oh, to an injury. Man, he only you know, played seven games last season for the Henderson. Silver Knights, and now he's going to miss training camp. It's not good. Tyler, what are you going to do without this guy when he, I mean, this is this, this just getting out of control. I had to suffer it. through the whole last season without him. Yeah. He was hurt. I couldn't even campaign for him to be with the Golden Knights. The most productive defensive uh, prospect that this this uh, this franchise has ever seen, according to you, right? Yes. They, Your numbers have it. Yes. They have shut out their opponent in 25% of the games that he has played at the NHL level. Nobody else can say that. According, <laughs> according, this is according to BHF numbers, Bischoff hockey uh, focus. Yeah. Instead of PFF, we got BHF. Yeah, he's great. He's unbelievable. He's great at not letting the other team score. Guy who normally screams about small sample size. You know what? It, it's what's, what's bad about this is that, you know, you, you just have to hope that his skill set does not. I mean, they're, they're athletes, right? They're young. Do you think that they can recover? They have the proper training. They have the facilities. They're building the facility for them. Is that, you know, they he doesn't fall off and he, he can finally come in at some point full strength and, and, and get back to his potential because at one point, you know, he was in the talk back when, when, when Zach Whitecloud showed up to training camp the second season and he was the third or fourth best prospect and got sent to Chicago and, and, and was brushed aside. And now look where he's at. But at that, at that time 
when I would ask the different the guys, right, whether it was Jesse or Ken or Dave or Ben or you, whatever, I mean, it was just in general, it was like, no, nah, because uh, because I was, I had interviewed Zach Whitecloud for a story for AP during training camp. They said, pick one young, young guy with that defensive core. And I picked Zach and sat down and did a 25-minute interview. And then the guy got shipped to Chicago two days later. And my story never got printed. So, but Bischoff was one of the top prospects at that time. It was like, no, nah, we see it was either going to be, um, was Bischoff, whose name was, was up there. And I'm trying to think who else was named, but. Zach wasn't even in the conversation. It was Haig, right? Might have been Haig, yes. Because H- famously, Hague. they pronounced Bischoff's name Bischoff. Well, Either could be Haig or Bischoff. Now it's where he's at. And, 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 you know, I mean, I know you've been high on him, obviously. and But I it, it, <laughs> I would just like to see him, uh, you know, at least get a shot. At, you know, full-fledged shot. All right, coming up next, we'll get into UNLV and Iowa State. But first... We have a Porta Subs football tailgate tray to give away and get you qualified to win a new Yeti cooler thanks to Finley Volvo Cars Las Vegas. We will take caller number seven at 702-364-1100. That is 702-364-1100. You will win a Porta Subs football tailgate tray and be qualified to win a new Yeti cooler from Finley Volvo Cars Las Vegas. Oh, Tate for sure. I mean, Tate's only been cleared for eight days or something, too. He's only been around us for a short amount of time, you know. Um, at least there was an off-season with Cam um, to get kind of, you know, get himself into the groove and under the, understand the offense. So I think that one's easy. The field and the and the lights and a, and a team would, would, would not shock Tate to be out there in a the field with him. But would the efficiency and effectiveness of how he knows what to do be affected? And that might change what he brings to the table. And so that's a that's a balance there, man. There's a guy who's never done it, a true freshman, and the guy who's been around on the field but doesn't really know the offense. So it, it, we're 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 uh, we're working our tail off to get to put ourselves in the best situation on Saturday. That was Marcus Arroyo, and I don't know what the questions were that he were an- was answering, but it certainly sounds like Tate Martell is nowhere near playing for this team because Cameron Friel had an off season and Tate Martell didn't. Yeah, I'd, <laughs> I've had this conversation a couple times. <laughs> Definitely not in agreement there, but I also may want to hand it to Marcus if he's hoodwinking us and, and maybe setting it up because I, I I get it, I get it. Okay, he he he's he's not acclimated yet, and the the big time atmosphere is in Tate's realm, but the system is not. My question is, if Tate Martell. Okay, and I get it. This is not high school anymore, and we're far removed from the three-time national champion Bishop Gourmet Gales and the National Player of the Year. But he did go to Ohio State. He did play at Miami. He has played with some big-time programs. If you are a big-time offensive coach and he doesn't know the scheme yet, but he's been around, whether he's been on the field playing with, he's studying it. This is a kid with a high football IQ that played on a national level since he was realistically 8th, ninth, eighth, ninth grade. Um, shouldn't he understand it? What does that say for the, the coaching staff itself if he doesn't understand the scheme? Well, it's the same coaching staff that told us over and over last year that they didn't have a spring practice, and that's why they went 0-6. How, how'd San Jose do? Just curious. They didn't need one either, did they? They didn't need a home, obviously, either, because <laughs> they had some home games across the West Coast, including here in Las Vegas, and they happened to uh, look pretty good in the Mountain West Championship. But uh, I personally, Tyler, think that if there was ever going to be a game that you usher Tate Martell onto the field, it is this particular game, specifically because of the atmosphere, specifically because of the situation, uh, specifically because... 
Martell was part of that same circuit. He's a little bit older that when Brock Purdy, uh, your Justin Fields, your Dorian Thompson, Robinson, all those quarterbacks that we're seeing, Trevor Lawrence, all those quarterbacks in that time frame, JT Daniels, they were all in that same era from high school, transition to college. So they've grown together. They've, they, they, you know, this is not anything new other than he doesn't have a college start. He's, he's got a, a minimal stats to his name, but at home in front of the crowd, that's going to be out there at Allegiant, um, your team needs a boost. Your team needs a, a something. And, so, I mean, does he start Rodgers? I mean, because we, automatically we're talking about Freel and, and Tate, but Rodgers is still your backup, even though he hasn't shown us much. Um, how, how short of a leash do Rodgers or Freel and or both have before you use Martell? I mean, if Doug Brumfield can't play, which again is the assumption here, if Doug Brumfield can play, Doug Brumfield's the quarterback, he's looked good enough. But if Brumfield can't play, uh, I assume Justin Rogers starts the game for UNLV. Me personally, I don't even think I'd start Justin Rogers at this point because we've seen him in two games and he has not been very good. I would assume he's not in there very long, though, if they cannot move the ball. But I assume that going into the first game of the season and despite only putting up six points at halftime, Justin Rogers came back out and got more drives in the third quarter. So I think... Marcus Arroyo is going to allow Justin Rogers to play more than you or I would allow Justin Rogers to play. If the offense isn't moving the ball, which we kind of don't think it will move the ball that well against Iowa state. And here's the problem uh, in, in, in Tyler Bischoff in true Tyler Bischoff form, a nifty little stat here. You wait too long in its last seven games dating back to 2020, Iowa State has given up just 22 points in the second half, excluding non-offensive touchdowns and just one touchdown. During the seven-game stretch, Iowa State opponents are averaging 15.3 points, 288.1 yards of total offense overall. So this is a team that comes to life in the second half. Granted, last week it, it, it struggled against a, a tough Iowa defense that um, did a number on Iowa State's supposed to be explosive offense, but second half nature against a team like UNLV that all due respect hasn't shown much. You don't want to wait too long to try to get something going. Well, what was that? What was that total yardage number? 288 that Iowa State's allowed 288.1 yards of total offense overall. I think if you're UNLV right now, you, you take that. If I told you you're going to have 288 yards of total offense. It could be a season high. <laughs> I think you're taking that against Iowa State. I think you're signing up for that. That might only lead to about 10 points, but I think you're signing up for that. Well, they do allow 15.3, so you might get there. Yeah. Does that fall into the, uh, what's it called, Jared? What's your thing? The the the, the 32? Which oh, the, Scorigami. Scorigami. 15.3. College really, is stupid. Yeah. So, so they don't really do. college football games and the scoring, it's dumb. There's so. also so many that apparently used to just end 4-4. And it was like the national championship last night ended in a 4-4 tie between Harvard yeah. and Alabama. I have continually said this since last season. I'm not, uh, I'm not going to um, pre- second guess Marcus Royal. He's the football coach. I'm the sports writer, but you know, there have been just a lot of things that have taken place and, and, and you see the decisions that are being made and you question after the fact, 
where the reasons were given, just as you said earlier, well, there was no spring, it was a tough year, so on and so forth. Well, there are other teams that went through that, not just San Jose State, not just UNLV. There were a lot of teams that went through it, and they had productive seasons. Yes, it's his, it was his first year. This is his second year, um, giving him the benefit of the doubt. We've already seen what took place against FCS Eastern Washington. We saw what took place in the second half against Arizona State. Um, now you have a team coming in. Are you going to treat it like a learning experience and suck it up and 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 just take whatever's dealt with you? But if you're going to throw a freshman in there, you better hope that he's ready for what Iowa State off of a very subpar performance against Northern Iowa and a very they're going to be very angry after that series had been running where the, the the margin was less than seven points and Iowa just came in and smacked him to where one of the best returning quarterbacks in the nation, Brock Purdy, was benched. It was so bad that you got to hope that this team or that your team is prepared for a very angry Iowa State team. I mean, Brees Hall, he... uh where is it at? I had it in here. Uh, they held him up to 69 yards. You pointed that out in the rundown. But he also had a um, a fumble in the game that that sort of sparked Iowa as well. So these are some highly explosive offensive players that have something to prove. And if there was a punching bag that they have on their schedule to sort of take that aggression out on, it would be a team like UNLV. What's the percentage of Iowa State fans at the at, at Allegiant Stadium? I'm going to guess 65-35 in favor of Iowa State. We gave away some four packs, so we got some UNLV. Okay, 65, 64.3. I'm, I'm very curious to see. It'll be hard to tell because both teams are red, so it won't be quite as easy to figure out. But I I feel like it's going to be more than that. Do you? Like, They're supposed to be bringing a strong contingent. Like they UNLV won game this year. They opened up the 300 level of seats, and it's this one. And it's not because the demand was high from UNLV fans. No. It's because the demand was high from Iowa State fans, and I... I kind of feel like they might have 75 plus percent of the fans at this game. Well, and you, you, you know, because of the stadium and, you know, not sitting out in that heat in the metal bleachers at, at Sam Boyd, obviously, uh, you know, there's, there's an, there's a different attraction. I mean, Eastern Washington had a, had a fantastic, uh, fantastic contingent out there, a fan base. It was crazy because, I have a great tie with the Spokesman Review up in Spokane, Washington, and ever since the summer league has been coming, they, they, Ralph Walter, the sports editor, always reaches out to me and says, hey, we got about five, six stories out there for, between Gonzaga, Eastern Washington, and Washington State. So I hit him up at the last minute. I was like, hey, I'm going to the home opener. Might as well try to get paid. You, you, do, do, are you covering the game? <laughs> and he said, well, we're covering it from up here. We figured we didn't send anybody down there, but maybe there's an I said, well, let's do a sidebar or something. I ended up doing something on – the fans and the attraction of coming down here and being able to play. And it turned out to be a great story. I ended up uh, talking to their all American tackles father. I just went amongst the, the, uh, the crowd. There was, there was a, there was a young couple there, a girl and a boy. The, the, the guy went to Gonzaga. The girl went to, she was a tennis player and uh, they happened to be in Las Vegas, looked up and said, Oh, Eastern Washington's <laughs> playing this weekend. So, I mean, the fan base was pretty thick for Eastern Washington. So I can imagine you know, a power five school, they're, they're, you know, they're used to going where? They're used to going to to Kansas or to Kansas, Manhattan or Lawrence or, or, or Norman or, you know, now they got a chance to go to Las Vegas, spend the weekend on the strip 
and enjoy the weather before it gets cold and go to Allegiant Stadium where the Raiders play. You know, so, yeah, I think that uh, I definitely think that it's going to be that they'll be outnumbered. And I don't think that that's a slight it's a slam toward UNLV. I just think it's that this is the this is the place that people want to go. All right. Coming up next, Mike Gramala joins the show. He's never seen a steak that is too gray. He once ate half a box of Cheez-Its for lunch and finished off the other half for dinner. He has eaten exactly one taco in his life. He is Mike Grillmala. Have tacos changed that much since I tried one? Hello, Mike. Who starts at quarterback for UNLV on Saturday? Uh, I think it's going to be Doug Brumfield. Is he healthy? Wow. He's good to go? Oh, you know, they said it was day-to-day on Monday. Um, you know, and if you've got five days since then, um, considering the other options, I think he'll probably um, try to play. Who do you think should start on Saturday? You, personally. I mean, if there's any possibility that Doug Brumfield can play, obviously he would be the choice. I think the question is, if, if Brumfield can't play, where do you go after that? Like, do you give a do you give Cameron Friel a shot? You know, he's a freshman who did who was you know an early enrollee, so he went through spring practice and everything, so he should be a little more acclimated than a normal freshman. Um, and then you've got Tate Martell, who's just a wild card, who you know everyone wants to see. He's the popular choice, but he didn't practice for most of training camp because he you know he had an injured thumb, he couldn't really throw. Um, just only recently been able to practice, so he hasn't had as much work. Um, so I think the real question is if Brumfield can't play or if he goes down early, uh, then what do you do? Because we've seen um, when he's not in the game, they don't move the ball. If if Brumfield doesn't go and, and Marcus decides to go with Friel or Rodgers, do you think or can you see a quote-unquote Marcus Mariota package for Tate Martell where he comes in for something special here or there. Do, is there anything, I mean, do you, obviously Marcus would never tip his hand, but do you think that there's a possibility giving his offensive mind that there's, there may be a package in there? Uh, I don't know, but ju- judging from the way that he's handled his quarterbacks so far at UNLV, I would lean toward no, because to me, it seems like he, he wants one guy, like even last year, um, you know, when Max Gillum was playing and they weren't winning and everyone wanted him to make a change and, you know, try out all these different quarterbacks, he was pretty resolute in saying, like, no, Max is the guy. Um, we're going to ride him. And then, you know, he did, he did try, uh, throw in uh, Brumfield and Rodgers for a little bit towards the end of the year. But I don't think he's a guy that wants to shuttle quarterbacks on and off the field. I think he wants to, one, I think he wants to instill confidence in one guy that he's going to lead the team. Uh, when he pulled Justin Rogers, that was pretty much it. It was Doug Brumfield time until Brumfield got hurt. Rogers played the rest of that game. I mean, that was an absolute blowout uh, on Saturday. If he wanted to get Cameron Friel, you know, a drive or two at the end of the fourth quarter, he could have done that and prep- to get him, you know, to get his feet wet in advance of week three. But he didn't do that. I think he wants one guy. So if if Rogers gets a start or if Rogers is, is the number two, I think he that's who he sticks with. We have seen eight games under Marcus Arroyo. How many times would you say their offense has looked good? You know, I thought they looked good when Brumfield took over in the second half against Eastern Washington. 
thinking back to last year, wasn't there a game against Fresno State where they were um, sort of in the game in the fourth quarter? They had like 21 points at halftime, I think, in that game. Yeah, so there's another one. Um, But, yeah, it's it's been a, a big issue. They haven't looked good. Moving the ball, they in a lot of that is quarterback. They haven't had anyone you know capable of really leading a passing attack. So, um, yeah, it's, it's it's an issue. They they really struggle. You saw when Brumfield came out of that game. It wasn't just that they, it wasn't that they couldn't score. It was that they could not move the ball. Literally, they could not gain a yard. I think they had 14 yards total in the second half, and like 13 of them were on a Doug Brumfield scramble. So it's like they cannot move the ball without him. Um, it's it's going to be an issue against Iowa State for sure. You tweeted out that you thought they did not look like an 0-12 team after the Arizona State loss, so where's the win or multiple wins on the schedule? I don't know. You're asking me to be very specific about, <laughs> about something that was a very broad thought. If I, if I knew when that win was going to come, I would put all my money on it and make a, uh, and make a ton, but um, I don't... I don't know. It, but you were it, encouraged by the Arizona State game. That's what that tweet was saying. It, I was. I thought that they got a little bit of pressure on the quarterback. I thought they made some plays in the defensive backfield for the second week in a row. Um, you know, they had a, a couple picks against Eastern Washington. They knocked some balls down, which is something that, as you, if you've been following UNLV football, you know they, they haven't been able to do in years. Like, they never are around the ball um, when passes are complete. But now they're knocking them down. They're picking them off. So that's encouraging. And if you can get a game where Charles Williams is revved up and you get the running game going and you get the quarterback to make a couple of plays, I could see them beating someone. So it doesn't seem like an 0-12 team to me. Does it seem like a 1-11 team? It, probably. <laughs> um, but oh, I, I do think they will get that. They will get a win this year. They, we, we've seen this team perform in the first half. And the second half, that the second half against Eastern Washington, the first half against Arizona State. Um, is this a team, Iowa State coming in, where, okay, we can, we've shown what we can do at, at certain times of a game against two different, entirely different opponents. We have to put it all together because of the level of competition, especially a team that's coming off a loss in a rivalry game that had been close you know, five, six the previous years, and Iowa just comes in and smacks them. So they're going to come in angry. But knowing that and stepping up to the level of competition, is this the right team to finally put two halves together? Or is this a bad situation considering the chip that Iowa State's coming in, you know, with it with on its shoulder? Can, I, can UNLV put together two halves from what you've seen because you've been at both games um, this week, it, it, with everything that's involved at home, the crowd it's probably going to favor Iowa State. Um, but do you see it being able to step up against this team and rise to the level of competition? This is a, a terrible week for UNLV to try and put together two halves <laughs> of football. And I mean, I don't say that jokingly. I mean, if you're um, it, there, there's just there's no chance that they put together four consistent quarters of football. They might put together back-to-back drives where the offense, you know, get picks up a couple first downs and looks okay. They might get a couple stops in a row, and you say like, oh, there's that's a good stretch for the game. But there's no chance that they play for like four, you know, good competitive quarters against this team. Um, so I don't think I'm, I'm not sure that's what you're looking for this week. I don't, I don't know if that's where you set the bar of your expectations. Um, it's a tough week for that. Let's let's just say they it's 
especially with the, the uncertainty at quarterback. We've seen the running game be inconsistent from week one to week two. Um, I don't think you're going to see a wire-to-wire strong performance from UNLV. All right, give me a grade on UNLV's non-conference basketball schedule. Uh, probably like a, a B. Like they, B. They've got some, yeah, they've got some good – I mean, the, the, the top of the schedule is great. You've got – uh, you know, Michigan coming uh, to play in that, that tournament at T-Mobile. You've got UCLA at home. You know, that's an NCAA runner-up last year. Uh, so that's great. And, you know, but then they've got those stragglers, those teams that are, you know, bought, uh, 200-plus in Ken Palm. You've got the, the number 300 team from last year in Ken Palm. So you're still seeing those kind of, you know, five cupcake games, which aren't going to help. But, uh, yeah, I'd say it's probably like a B. You surprised there's only two road games on it? Uh, I was because they've been a team that's traveled a little bit in recent years, but I understand why, you know, not only just Kevin Kruger's first year, but also, um, you know, with COVID and it's like, it's, it's, if you're a first year head coach and you don't want to deal with road gate, like this is a good time for you to say, like, we're just going to play as many home games as possible. And I think people will understand that. All right. What have you eaten recently? Uh, no, nothing, nothing adventurous. Uh, we know. I haven't really, well, nothing, uh, newsworthy. Um, I'm standing in my kitchen right now. I'm seeing if I have anything that is worth talking about what I've been mostly doing. Uh, you know, stores put out their Halloween displays They're in the seasonal section. So I, I get a, a giant bag of Halloween candy that I've been working on oh, for boy. about a week. Are you, are you about to tell us that you eat like half that bag for lunch and the other half for dinner? Yeah, I mean, they on some on certain days it can work as a meal replacement. So, Mike, now, now let's 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 shift our focus to uh, to Raiders games, and now forget about the the entrees, which you you sort of weave Bob and weave your way through, or the hot dog stand in which you hope that it's a hot dog and not a brat or a sausage. But uh, as far uh, as the <laughs> snacks are concerned, you got the chips. Last week they did. Um, they did some crab seasoning chips to, you know, they did a crab mac and cheese, but they also have the candy bar the, in, in terms of like, like a snack bar, not just a candy bar, but, you know, with the, with the different choices, they have the little granola, the packs of the granola snacks. They got the dried mango. They have stuff like that. Now, do you grab more of the snacks or have you become a fan of any of the entrees that are being served in the, uh, the quote unquote media cafeteria? Uh, you know, with the, the caveat that I, I don't want to trash, um, the free food, but yeah, I'm not really a fan of what the Raiders put out for the games. It's a little too, um, I guess too fancy, a little too cultured for me. My, 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 my only option at those games pretty much is the hot dog stand. And as you mentioned, sometimes it's hot dogs, and then sometimes it's like a sausage or like a brat or something that's like it looks like a hot dog from far away. Yeah. And I get I get my I get excited, and then I get up close, I, and I'm like, oh, I know. Hot dog. The disappointment then, on your face when you come back to the other end. I I see it in there, and I and I hear it in your voice. Yeah, and it's tough. So the good, they, 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 one thing that they, I like that they do is they put out popcorn, Yeah, which is pretty universal. So I can, worst comes to worst, I can grab a, <laughs> a box of popcorn. Or so, several, or several. Yeah, and that, that gets me through it. So, um, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll see. The, the candy, I'm looking at it right now. It's a mix. It's a 
Twix, Milky Way, Three Musketeers, and Snickers mix. And Snickers is a recent thing for me. I didn't, I never tried that until oh boy. maybe a couple years ago, but I eat that now. So uh, that's the mix that I'm working on right now. A hundred pieces of candy in one bag. Do you have a grade on the donut bar? At the Raiders at the game, the donut stadium. display, the donut, yeah, do you, that that display from Monday night. Uh, I I don't feel qualified. I I took a plain donut. I think I was the only one to take a plain donut. Um, maybe Cassie can give more of a detailed uh, grade on the rest of the the dessert spread. But I just went straight for the plain donut. So it was, and it was a plain donut. That's that's my review of it. It was. <laughs> Incomplete. <laughs> All right. Get out of your mic. Go away. He's Mike Cravalla from the Las Vegas Sun. By the way, thanks for doing a tease to when Cassie Soto joins us. It's a good job. Thanks, Mike. Of course. Happy Halloween. <laughs> this is he's, I, he definitely he definitely grabbed the plain donut. There was one day where I brought two dozen donuts out to the Raiders media room, and I went over to him. I said, "Hey, I'm just letting you know." When I went into to to the uh, donut place, I made sure that I grabbed. I looked and I said, okay, which ones would Mike want? And I made sure there's a few in there that that have no fancy stuff, nothing. He goes, as long as there's nothing in the middle of it, I really don't like those. There's, you know, I said, well, then you're good. <laughs> All right. We've got $200 to give away. Thanks to Dollar Loan Center. It's Friday football frenzy. I'm going to give you three games. All you have to do is pick the winner of each of those games. If you can do that, you will take home. 200 bucks 702-364-1100 is the phone number we'll take caller number nine at 702-364-1100 your chance to win 200 dollars will giselle let tom play till 50 that's the real question that is a way better question in fact why would they not google that I think they should. <laughs> that was, of course, no. Uh, maybe that I, answer. I'm so smart. I'm the Google I'm master I'm just kidding. Now. I'm sorry, babe. I love you. <laughs> you would let me. You'd let me do anything as long as I'm happy. We got $200 to give away. It's Dollar Loan Center's Friday Football Frenzy. We got games every week. Somebody can take home some money if they can pick three winners. We got Mike on the line. Mike, your first game. Bengals at Bears. Oh, we gotta go with the Bengals. Okay, you have oh, to go with the Bengals. Alright, uh, so <laughs> Bengals are in as the first choice for you. Cowboys at Chargers. I think the Chargers will sneak that one out. Alright, and the last one, the Titans at the Seahawks. Gotta go with the Seahawks. Okay, so if the Bengals, Chargers, and Seahawks all win, you will take home 200 bucks. If not... We'll have $300 to give away next week. Thanks, Mike, and good luck. Thanks, Thanks. Mike. So, yes, if he if Mike does not win, it'll all roll over. There'll be 300 bucks next week. If Mike does win, he gets 200 and we'll restart at 100 bucks for next week. Uh, Easy, right? Yeah. Just as a heads up for you, in this contest, because we did this all last year, too. Three <laughs> games, just pick the winners, no spreads. Last year and last week, the people picking are a combined 32 and 31. So right at 500. 32 and 31 overall. And how many from last week's 17 weeks, how many people won? We actually did 17 weeks plus uh, we did the first two rounds of the playoffs. And three people won. Wow. So 19 weeks last year and only three people. How won. many uh, 
And, and there were some over weeks. I would. They, we had three straight over three weeks last year, which is seems impossible, but it happened. Three, so, three so all due row. respect to Mike and the callers, <laughs> a three-team money line round robin parlay on the opposites round robin. It might be beneficial. Might be. <laughs> Go ten, three three-team money line round robin three twos and an all. There was a there was a like stretch when we were doing our find the sharp, where if you had just whoever our sharp was, if you had just bet against them, didn't we figure out you'd be up like a thousand percent because there was like an eight week thing where favorites lost. We had I think the longest stretch we had seven straight losses That's... in our sharp contest. Now and these were these were like. This, Huge favorite. No, no. This this was when the seven in a row was when people were actually picking against the spread. Oh, okay. Never mind. Right. We did have uh we did have, I think, uh there it is, a five game losing streak when people were just picking winners. Could have picked a winner in any sport they wanted, and five people in a row came on here and picked a loser. <laughs> you love when they come on and do the soccer stuff. Oh, because there's so many blowouts in soccer. It's great. Unless they pick them. Only, which... The only two people that I know that someone could just talk about some random soccer team, not the, the ones that everybody know, and and could go, go into a full-blown conversation, probably analyze the pick, would be Tyler and Adam Hill. Hey, the League's Cup Finals coming. That here. that that show would, I mean, I've done some shows that have had some bad ratings. <laughs> I don't know if we would get a single listener. For a soccer show like that? Why not? Yeah, I think you need to get the listeners. There's a good soccer crowd in this town. We're gonna have we're gonna have tickets to go see the League's Cup final coming up later in the show, too. There the Seattle go. Sounders taking on Leon of Liga MX. I'll be there. <laughs> I remember yeah, when... I'll be there. I I, I want to say I, I when I was when I was young, a lot lot younger, Pele came to to town. He played in Vegas one time. Did you go? No. Oh, what was that story? <laughs> <laughs> he was, he was, the, was it the New York up. New York Cosmos? Is yeah, it? yeah. Uh-huh. And I believe that the Las Vegas was in was it the NASL? That the league, uh, North American Soccer League. Yes, Vegas had yeah. a team, and I think that they hosted the Cosmos one time. You know who would know that answer? Jim Gemma, because he's been around in this town longer than I have. Well, you didn't go to the game, so <laughs> yeah, I didn't go to the game. <laughs> I was like, hey, you know, one time Pele came to Vegas. I wasn't here. <laughs> the but si- the Silver Bowl, was. now known as Sam Boyd. Thank God. <laughs> Sam Boyd still still standing. They haven't knocked it down yet. Well, just in case, you never know. Just they in may, case, <laughs> what? they may need it for something. In case the Raiders can't slide the field back into Allegiant Stadium, well, one they may day. need to throw a baseball field up for the A's. Eh, <laughs> not out there, please. Not out there. <laughs>